As some of you may have uh, received an email from me today, uh, this week, I, at the end of last week, just had a stirring for the moms uh, in, the, in the congregation. And really it happened when Nita, who shared the word last week, mentioned the key scripture, the key text, the love of Christ compels us with regards to reaching the world. The love of Christ compels us. And she mentioned that that Greek word translated into our English Bible as compels also means constrains. In other words, it like limits. It, it causes us to hold back as well as, as to go. And when she mentioned that, I just felt in my heart something for moms in this room. And, uh, and I know that there's a lot of moms that, that you, you carry a burden and a concern for your children. That's good. And also for the spiritual state of your children. And I feel like there's something in that, that message, that scripture, the love of Christ compels us and constrains us. And when she mentioned that, what I, what I felt in that is the reality of the burden that we carry uh, for our children can lead us to take actions out of fear to try to accomplish a good thing for our children. But Jesus says, I want you to be constrained by my love and I want you to partner with me in the raising of your children and then the leading of your children and do it in me. So when you feel that need to go say that thing and to try to inject the gospel or to try to make something happen or to try to manipulate them and get them to receive something that you know would be good for them, let the love of Christ com constrain you. And I've got three things that I just want to quickly say before we go on to the message. One, well, three things. Pray, speak when you have an open door, and influence them for Jesus by allowing yourself to first be influenced by Jesus. So pray uh, Mimi, who is Nita's mother. God rest her soul. She passed away 2002. Uh, and I still feel like she's right here with us because she is. Um, and she modeled the idea of praying for her family and trusting Jesus in a place of prayer for her family. She carried her family like no other woman I've ever met in my life. The sweetest, most wonderful lady you possibly could ever meet. Would not hurt a fly. Um, but she prayed every single day by name for all of her children, their spouses, her grandchildren, their spouses, and the unborn great-grandchildren every single day. And in her dying, it was her grandson, her grandson, Julian, who is a medical doctor, who encountered Jesus through the process of, of relating to her in her final days. She didn't lead him to the Lord. She actually began to pass over to the other side and began describing heaven. And here's a medical doctor who knows that she's lucid, watching his own grandmother describing something and knowing she's not a liar, she's not making this up, she's actually seeing heaven, and it rocked his world as a medical professional. And he and his medical doctor wife gave their hearts to Jesus. Now his uh, father, Nita's brother, can't hardly have communication with Nita today without mentioning Jesus and faith and trusting Jesus. And he's obviously been impacted by the gospel. And you see the work being done in the family. And I guarantee you, Mimi's prayers have so much to do about that. So instead of forcing the gospel, she just loved her family and she prayed. And I want to encourage you to do that. Secondly, is you moms in the room and, you know, you dads and you other people can hear this too. <laughs> I practice this stuff hopefully as well. 
uh, speak when you have an open door. Don't try to force it. But when you have those open doors, don't, be, don't hold back to, to share something. It's mainly about living your life before those you love and letting them see, see your faith, not just hear about your faith. But there does come the moments where a door opens and you're able to share it. And when you can sense that moment, let it happen and it's impactful. And thirdly, and hugely important, influence them for Jesus by allowing yourself to be first influenced by Jesus. Can I suggest that in this room, and myself included, there is probably a degree of unperceived pride that we think we can go help these people that we care about get where they need to go and have what they need to have, but do it without Jesus. And, we, and the, the reality is we will be able to give Jesus away by first allowing him to lead us. It's in the context of him leading me that I can help lead others to him, and only in that context. You want to help your kids? Dive headfirst into Jesus. Allow, hear his word, do whatever it is he's saying, even if it seems counterintuitive. And, and then you become a fisher of men. Amen? Related to that, and let's go on into, because this is related to that, is uh, today's message, releasing control to be led by Jesus. And uh, before we get into that, can, I know we've prayed before, and I don't want to be religious about praying, but I do just want to ask the Lord and honor, before we look at his word, just to honor him right now and just ask him to speak to our heart. Lord, we don't want to just run in front of you and do our church thing and go through our agenda. Uh, Lord, we recognize you are here. You are in our midst. You said you are when we're gathered together in your name. We yield our hearts to you. Lord, we acknowledge our need for your word. Lord, we ask that you would use even what I'm about to do in my human strength. I ask you to anoint me supernaturally so that uh, what we hear would be from you, that you would bring a spirit of revelation and open up our hearts to hear your voice, Lord, and let it equip and transform us. Lord, I pray that anywhere where there is perhaps us clenching on to things in our life rather than yielding them to you, that this morning, as we leave this morning, we would leave this place free of those bondages. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Release control to be led by Jesus. The gospel, my friends, calls us to follow. How many times in the gospels does Jesus say, come, follow me. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The gospel, simple, the simple reality of the gospel to believe in Jesus is not to give mental assent to a bunch of ideas about Jesus. It is to give your life to Jesus, who is alive, and to follow him. And the gospel calls us to follow, which requires a couple things. One, hear me now, is that we release control. Tell me if I'm wrong, but you can't follow another entity without releasing your own control in order to follow him. And secondly, is to trust in his leadership. To trust in his leadership. Release control and trust in his leadership. And in order to do this, we have to be willing to release burdens. I just spoke to moms in the room, but every single person in this room carries burdens. 
You carry worries, carry fears. We all carry concerns. And there's something beautiful about the process of a, per, of a believer releasing those burdens and placing them with expectation in the hands of the one who actually can carry them. The scripture says to cast your cares upon the Lord for he cares for you. And so we have to release our burdens and we also have to seek his will. It's not just about casting your cares upon the Lord and then sitting there and doing whatever you want to do and waiting on the Lord to take care of it. He takes care of you as you follow him, as we follow him. I'm not just preaching at you. I'm speaking this together with you. He takes care of us as we follow him. And how do we follow him? We seek his will. And while we don't always know exactly 100% clarity what his will is, there are the subtleties. There's the leadings of of the whispers of his spirit to our heart. There's also just the, the scripture, you know, that you can take the scripture at face value and do what the scripture says, and God will lead you. And so, yeah, again, the gospel calls us to follow. we got to f- trust in his leadership and release control. So I want to just kind of toss some maybe areas where we could tend to maintain control as opposed to trusting in Jesus. Um, a couple that we just mentioned the needs of our children. How many of you have ever been there? You carry the needs of your children. I'm not talking about spiritual needs. I'm talking about their welfare, just their practical needs, um, and, and don't really ever bring Jesus' leadership into that space. How about the spiritual needs of our children? The same thing. How about the leading of the Spirit? Just unwilling to be led because we're afraid, and so we don't open up to the, to the Spirit. How about... Uh, things that we can't guarantee or don't understand. Things in life that you can't guarantee or you just don't understand and, and, and you feel like you need proof or you have to understand it before you can trust. Uh, how about stresses? And do you know that carrying stresses in prayer does not mean you're releasing it to the Lord? <laughs> If you find yourself constantly praying about the thing that you're fearing, it probably be, would be wise for you to release it and stop praying about it. You've already asked them, now just be at peace. So stresses that we carry, and we carry them rather than releasing. How about expecting bad to happen? In other words, I mean, I, you know, bad things are going to happen, but if we live in the expectation of bad things to happen, instead of believing the promises of God and expecting them. How about just simple, and let's be real, failure to seek God. Going into your day, going into your week without even seeking his will. Just leaning on our own strength because we're so used to doing that. That's, that's not being led by Jesus. In fact, being led by Jesus requires that we seek him regularly daily, if not multiple times a day, keeping your place in there, in that space. Major life changes that are made from fear as opposed to faith. It's, it's, I'm afraid of this thing, and so I take matters into my own hands, and I don't even realize that I'm doing something that could be contrary to the will of God. I'm just trying to take care of things. And then, what about receiving bad news? You know, you receive bad news and, and, and fear 
overtaking your heart, which is natural. It's not, don't condemn yourself if that happens. But, uh, as, but, but, but not trusting Jesus. And let me just ask this question. And if I could just ask you to, if you need to close your eyes or whatever, but ask yourself this question. What is my area where I would tend to maintain control? And what, what is the way that I try to maintain control or where I'm not trusting Jesus? You can even ask him right now. Boy, I'm sure that's a prayer he's happy to answer. What is, what is that area? Here's the deal, guys. Unwillingness to release control to Jesus is, in its, is simply this. And you can open your eyes if you, if, you, if you have your answer. Some of you are making a long list, right? Unwillingness to release control to Jesus is simply this. Believing that you can do better than him. It, and it helps us to put it into that context and to say, call it out for what it is. It's believing that I can do better than him. Everybody in here who's an authentic believer of Jesus would never say, I can do better than Jesus. And I hope that we feel repulsed by that. Because it is repulsive. God has a better plan for us. And I'm trusting that in, even in the course of this morning that we're going to have our sights raised to see a better way and to allow our hearts to grab a hold of that better way. I just want to share a story uh, with regards to this. So even related to the raising of our own two sons who are here in the room and, um, and just kind of the journey, uh, you know, some, some pivotal steps that have taken along the way. Some of you have probably heard the story, but indulge me to, to share it again. In um, 2008, we moved to South Africa from Georgia. Now, prior to that, 2007, 2006 and 2007 actually had been pretty decent years um, in that I, we had come, been ordained, come on the full-time pastoral staff in a church that we were a part of down there. Things were lining up. Um, I had like kind of like a, a steady income from ministry, but also from I was doing mortgage loan origination on the side to, to help complete that picture, and we were kind of in the best financial picture that we had been in. And then we had uh, John David was born at the end of 2007. And uh, I don't know if you remember, some of you, 2007, uh, but um, there was some stuff that went down that year. And if you were in the mortgage industry, uh, boy, that was... An interesting time. So long story short there, we had an income source in our lives completely wiped out. And uh, we also had an increase of diaper expenses that suddenly came into the picture and baby food and what have you. And uh, this equals, this plus this equals bad, good, not, not good, uh, unsustainable situation. And so I'm here doing what I do. I'm trying to, okay, we can rework this, we can reduce this cost, we can do this and try to fit into this one income that we have left. And, uh, and no matter which way you slice or dice it, it could not happen. And as we began to pray, we started to feel that there was a transition in our, in our lives. And then uh, Minda, doing the job that God's given her, she came up. Uh, she, she one day said, you know what? I feel like we should uh, take a trip to South Africa because we've been feeling that on our hearts for years and we need to do something with it. And I remember looking at her and thinking... <laughs> Did you see the budget I just showed you for our family? Going to South Africa, an international round trip uh, to another nation, that doesn't solve this problem, Minda. I don't know, like, what planet are you on? 
But we began to pray about it, and I couldn't help but to feel a witness with this notion that we're supposed to go to South Africa. What I'm getting at already, if you haven't caught on, is sometimes when we have a burden, a worry, and we allow the Lord to lead us, sometimes what he leads us into is going to be counterintuitive. It's not going to make sense. Sometimes what he leads us to doing, we say, God, you've got to fix this problem. We have one income left and it's not enough for us. You've got to fix this problem. And God says something that has nothing to do with that problem. Uh, if you don't remember, there was a moment in, when Peter first met Jesus, the one who became the apostle Peter, Simon Peter is a fisherman. And Jesus asked if he can borrow the boat and they had just come out of a night fishing all night long, toiling and caught nothing. Came back to the shore, tail between the legs, no income that day. And Jesus says, can I borrow your boat? Sure. I mean, it's not being used for fishing. You might as well use the boat, Jesus. And he climbs on it and he uses it as his pulpit to preach to all the people on the shore. And at the end, he says uh, to Peter, cast your net over on that other side for a, for a catch. And, and here's the professional fisherman, Simon Peter, receiving fishing instructions from a carpenter and a preacher. And he humbled himself knowing that the power of God was on this man's life. He did it and God brought in the catch. What I'm saying is that oftentimes, what G you and I are linear. We, want, we have a problem. Jesus fixed the problem. And Jesus says, come, trust me, hear my word and obey it. And in the obeying, the thing that you need is going to happen. And so we have this uh, notion to go to South Africa. We brought it to our leadership in the church. There was agreement with it. So we decided to take one step at a time. Let's just see if God actually does this thing. And so that was the first step, agreement with leadership. And then the next thing we know, that the provision just starts coming to where we like, actually, we're going to go, and then these two, Rodney and Nita, line up an itinerary for us there, and, and like, full, like, instantly, three weeks of this church, and that ministry, and this place, and, I mean, it was just, like, amazing. We go there, we're not thinking about moving to South Africa, so we just go there, and it was while I was there that God speaks to my heart so clearly, I'm moving you and your family to this nation. Go back to, to, uh, to Georgia, release that to our, submit that to the leadership. There's 100% agreement. And within three months, we're moving to South Africa. And without the, 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 the picture when we moved to South Africa still did not really look like it was going to fully meet our needs, just to be blunt. And it was after we landed in that land that the scenario that wound up evolving brought us into a far better space than we had been financially. Not that that's the reason, right? The reason that we move is Jesus, as you can see. Like, there was nothing financial about it. Uh, but the other kind of cool thing is that the economic policies of South Africa in the way in which international trade happened there insulated that country from so much of the economic woes that hit the rest of the world. And so if you guys have been listening to Jesus like we were, you also would have moved to South Africa during that time. No, I'm just kidding. But, but, but what, I'm, what I'm getting at is God is so amazing as we follow him, how he leads us into what, a, a story that we could have never scripted. I want to just speak that over the worries that you identified just a few minutes ago. I want to speak that over you. Jesus knows about your worries. 
He knows and cares even more than you do. The reality is he is the one who can take care of it. Not you. He can. He's either Lord of all or not Lord at all. There is no middle ground. If he's Lord, he's Lord. And he can take care of it, and he will take care of it. The burden that you carry is this and only this. Seek him, hear him, and obey him. You can do that. He will take care of you. Moving, thank you, Rodney. Moving from there, I'll just mention this as well. Minda, I didn't even know this, but the last kind of thing before we moved to South Africa that was burdening Minda's heart was the kids. And in retrospect, I, it's almost funny that I wasn't burdened about it, how kind of ignorant I was, but moving your kids to a developing world nation <laughs> is not insignificant. Um, it, was, it's, it is one of the highest per capita murder countries on the planet. Uh, it, the violent crime and uh, organized crime is rampant in that nation. And, uh, and so there was moving our kids, but also if they were going to be planted there and we're going to move our kids there, that means they're probably going to marry South African wives. And what's that going to mean for the rest of our lives? Are they going to live in South Africa? Are we ever going to come back to America? All those things was, were really burdening Minda's heart. And we, uh, there was one church service kind of on the tail end of our time in America, and uh, there was a prophetic lady who who prophesied over Minda all these wonderful, great, wonderful things. But it was at the very end of this prophecy. She said, you know what? And what else? God just says, don't worry about your kids. Now, this lady didn't even know we were about to move to South Africa. God, don't worry about your kids. He's got a plan for them. And that was the thing that kind of tipped the scale. She said, okay, God, we're good. We're doing this thing. And let me tell you something. This is what I, my, my point in sharing that story, especially, again, talking about kids and moms in the room. It was our act of obedience that seemed as though we're putting our kids at risk. It seemed from an American perspective, we are doing the uh, irresponsible thing. Moving your kids to Johannesburg. I mean, the odds are they will encounter violent crime living there. Why would you do that? Because Jesus said so. Can I say that from that moment, Minda and I... (laughs) have witnessed and seen the hand of God upon our children that I know would not have been the case had we not taken that step of faith. God has sovereignly opened up doors for them. His hand has been upon them. God has revealed himself to them. They've got faith. I'm not sure who's more spiritually mature today than, is it us or is it them now? I'm kind of kidding. They, they have been blessed. God's opened up doors, schooling, and just everything. We have, it has been amazing to see. You trace that back. That, that, that God's favor is because there was an altar created where we said yes to putting our children on the altar in order to obey what Jesus says. And God says, you do that, and I will take care of them. What about your burden and your worry? Again. Could, are you willing to perhaps have that altar where you put in it and what God, Jesus says to you doesn't make mental sense. 
It's counterintuitive. It doesn't make sense, but this is what he's leading you. Are you willing to hear what he has to say? And more importantly, are you willing to do it? You re- are you really carrying that burden out of a sense of love? Because if you are, let me tell you the most loving thing you can do is to put it in the hands of Jesus and allow Jesus to lead you into what his will is, which includes the provision of that burden that you're carrying. Having said all that, let's look at Matthew chapter 6. And then we'll look at uh, Acts chapter 5 briefly, and then we'll pray. Matthew chapter 6. This passage that we're about to deal with, many of you have read it, it deals really with trusting God for material provision. But I want to say it applies to any concern that we carry in life. And I want you to, again, take that concern or list of concerns that you already identified and plug it in to these words from Jesus that we're about to read. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25. Are you there? Okay, good. (laughs) The front row kind of are. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Therefore, Jesus talking, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink nor about your body, what you will put, it, uh, put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Again, plug in your concern. Your concern today may not be about clothes or food or those kinds of things. Maybe it is. Plug yours into these words. Look at the birds of the air, verse 26, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. In other words, put, put stuff into savings accounts. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? As we're looking at this skill of trusting Jesus, one of the first things that we need to realize is we are valuable to God. One of the reasons that we don't allow Jesus to lead us is because we don't really believe that he loves us and is good towards us. Now you may say, oh, pastor, I would never. Can I say that I, in any area that I try to hold back or am unwilling to yield to Jesus, is simply an area in my heart that is not yet truly believed. He loves me, he is good, he is for me, and he's able So Jesus' first thing here, are you not of more value than they? Verse 27, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? Cubit was a, a, a measuring, you know, kind of like feet in yards like we have today, meters. Cubit was, I think, roughly yeah, 18 inches. There we go. So, but the point he's saying, does, can worrying add anything to you? And I've got some questions that I want us to ask ourselves real quick. Has worrying, ask yourself this, has worrying robbed you from quality of life? Let's ask ourselves this second question. Has worrying helped the thing I worry about? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? You know what Jesus is actually saying? I'm about to say some revolutionary words. 
do not worry. That's amazing. Most of us live in a perpetual dimension of worry. Verse 28, so why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, which means to labor to make clothes. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arraigned like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field. I want you to take note of those words that we just heard from Jesus who clothes? God so clothes. I just want the simple truth that God is the one. The worry in this case that this person has is about clothing. And here Jesus says, if God clothes, the lilies don't clothe themselves, you don't clothe yourself, God clothes. What is your worry? God is the one that's going to take care of that. I'm not saying you don't have a part in it, by the way. For some of us who think it's all faith, and so we just sit and pray all day. No, there is definitely obedience attached to the faith. There's actions that accompany your faith. But when it's faith, God does it, and he uses your actions of faith. You don't do it. He is the one who brings about the, all Peter did was cast that net the 100 millionth time for that day to the other side of the boat, and he brought in a fish so, a catch so great that the boats couldn't contain it. But it wasn't Peter's labor that brought that in, right? It was that he, Jesus told him to cast the net on that side, and he did it. You follow? If God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith. Therefore, are you ready? Do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Plug in whatever your worry is to that list. Do not worry. Isn't that wonderful? I, 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 it's almost like I want to say, imagine a life where you're not worrying about that thing. I want to prophesy to you today. You can live that life. Not only can you, Jesus is commanding you. He's commanding you to repent, to turn from that notion of worry because it's simply just a vacancy of faith. That's all it is. And you can choose to believe and to, and to have faith. Therefore, do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek. Why is that significant that he would say that? The, the Gentiles seek. Who are the Gentiles? In its most simple form, Gentiles are all the population of the earth at that time that were not Jews. Why is that significant? Because only Jews had a covenant with God. What Jesus is saying is you, in worrying, are behaving like somebody who does not have a covenant with God. How abhorrent is that for the Christian today to live as though we don't have a covenant with God when God himself became a man and became the sacrifice himself, his own body, to cut covenant, to make covenant with us. And yet we live life as if that never even happened. 
After all these things the Gentiles seek. They're walking around blindly. They don't even know the God that you know. They, they, they're trying to eck out an existence in this earth thinking that they've got to do it for themselves. And here you, child of God, have a covenant with God and God has said that he will take care of you. So after all, the, the, after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father, listen to this, knows that you need all these things. We, if we're real, we tend to believe that God doesn't really, hasn't noticed this thing that I'm carrying. He may not really be aware. After all, he's obviously concerned with poverty in Africa. He's, con he's concerned with, with, you know, school shootings and, and those kinds of, that's, that's, God needs to be, but he's, no, God cares about your stuff. And for you to have an impact on this world that has poverty and school shootings and to be able to be a vessel of his kingdom into that darkened world, you need to have him take care of your stuff. Because it's him doing it through you. So he, he does care about your stuff. Your Heavenly Father knows that you have need of all of these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. I hope you heard those words. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added. What's your worry? If you will seek first the kingdom of God. He didn't say seek first God's help in your problem. Did you, you catch that? If I'm worried about my kids and they don't know Jesus and I'm worried about where they are in life and all this, he didn't say seek first God's help before you try to do something. He said seek first the kingdom. And in the umbrella of the kingdom includes the concern for your children or the concern for whatever your concern is. But that's not what we're pursuing. We're not pursuing God. We're pursuing God, what is your will? So let's dig into that real quick. What, is, what does that mean, seek first the kingdom? The kingdom, the word kingdom, simply in English, can be broken down into two parts. King's domain. Seek first the domain of Jesus. The kingdom, the will of Jesus. Seek first knowing what he is saying to LC. Unless you're not LC, of course. If L.C. can seek first, what is Jesus saying to me? I may, he may have this concern over here, but if I can seek first, if L.C. can seek first what L God, Jesus is saying to him, then he can trust this other concern is going to be taken care of as he follows what Jesus is saying to him. Can I say that in the middle of a moment of financial lack, going on a trip to South Africa is probably not a logical next step. But you seek first the kingdom. What is God saying to you to, to in this moment? Do that. And do you know the very thing I was concerned about ends up getting, getting taken care of? And way more. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Another, uh, uh, I believe it's in Luke, doesn't mention righteousness. And sometimes we forget this part. And his righteousness. What does that mean? The kingdom is the will of God. The righteousness is the ways of God. In other words, had we gone to South Africa, but just done some kind of sinful means of getting there, you know, I don't know. Like, I can't think of anything, but, 
or, or abused our kids while we're there, you know. I don't think even though we had done the will of God, we weren't doing the ways of God, you know. I still had to raise my children in the fear of the Lord while we were there and, and, and hopefully not abuse them <laughs> and, you know, teach them and instruct them in righteousness. Do you follow what I'm saying? So what, what, you, what you're seeking is the will of God, but it's also his ways. Don't expect God's blessing on your life if you're going to tithe and you're going to do all this stuff, but I also cheat on my taxes. Wow. <laughs> there was a silence there. <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe, uh, maybe that needed to be said. I don't know. Uh, and let's move on. And, but last thing on this verse here. Seek first. Seek first, not seek the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. First in time, if you look at that original Greek word, it would mean first in time, first in priority, first in importance. In other words, before you try to figure out this need in your life, seek first his will for your life. Sitting at his feet, hearing him. And again, it doesn't, what he says to you may very well not even have to do with what it is that your burden is. You release that burden and sit at his feet to hear what he's saying to your heart. Because you trust your king, because he's got your back, and he's got good plans for you. If you can just release all the stuff that you're carrying and hear him and follow him. This is what it is to be Christian. Not go to church. Yes, that's important. Hearing him and obeying. That's what this thing is all about. And so, if we find Jesus' will and do it, Jesus' way, we release heaven into the situation that we are concerned about. And finally, verse 34, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let me say this over us and hear this in the recesses of your heart, please, this morning. Every single thing that you are concerned about is in the economy of God an opportunity to drive you deeper into Him. That is what it is. Because the ultimate end all most important thing that this will ever be in this life is the pursuit of knowing Jesus. Everything that we encounter is an opportunity to go deeper into him. Let that encourage you. Let that be a light in the midst of your darkness to say, I don't know where to go. I don't. That's what I need to do. That's where I need to go. I can go deeper into Jesus with this concern. I'm telling you that's how we grow. I just want to quickly read from Acts chapter 5 before we respond. But I I do want to allow the weight of this passage that we're about to read to settle over us and to say as we're getting into this, you can't follow Jesus and maintain control. In fact, the scripture that we just read, if we had seen the verse before that passage of scripture which I didn't read, Jesus famously says, you cannot serve God and mammon. You ever heard of that? Well, let me say, very similar and and could 
be very much attached to that exact same idea. You cannot follow Jesus and maintain control. They don't mix. They don't, it can't work. And so if you'll look with me just quickly in Acts chapter 4, actually, uh, verse 34. This is the first church, local church in the city of Jerusalem. The first ever local church. It's, stuff is happening. Miracles are happening. And in verse 34, listen to this, what was happening. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet and they distributed to each as anyone had need. This was a particular kind of uh, practice that they were engaging in where they were actually selling what they had, bringing the proceeds, giving it to the apostles, and the apostles were distributing it and making sure that everybody in the church had their needs taken care of. You following? Knowing that, go with me to Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 1. We'll read the first four verses real quick. Acts chapter 5, verse 1. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession, and he kept back part of the proceeds his wife also being aware of it, and they brought in a certain part. Just take note of that. They brought in a certain part, not, not the entire proceeds, just a certain part, whereas everybody else was bringing the whole part, and they laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? Now, I want to make note of this. What if Ananias and Sapphira had determined that they want to give only a certain part and they don't want to necessarily give all of the proceeds? Well, I, I, theologically, I don't know what to make of this. I would tend to think that should be okay if they don't feel like God has told them to give all the proceeds, then they don't have an uh, obligation to give. The problem, and you don't have to go there now, is that in verse 8, we find out that they were lying about they were saying that it was sold for this much, and they, were, and, they, and they were giving all of it, but they were actually lying and keeping back a part. There, therein lies the problem, is that they were lying. Now listen to the rest of this. While it remained, in other words, while you still had ownership of this land, was it not your own? Your own. Now I want to point out the significance of those two words, your own. To become a Christian means to declare Jesus is Lord, which is to say, all of who I am, body, soul, mind, spirit, belongs to him, including my possessions. It's all belongs to him, right? That is what it means for Jesus to be your Lord. He's either Lord of all or not at all, right? While it still remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last, and so great fear breathed his last. He died. Died. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. What I want to say again, you cannot follow Jesus and maintain control. And let's, let's this morning, both see the severity of that reality 
I don't want to have anything to do with trying to maintain control, but let's also this morning perceive the kindness of the Lord, saying there is a better way, and it's called go deeper into me. Rather than worrying about the thing that you're worried about, let that become the reason that you go deeper into me, trusting in me, and do whatever I tell you to do, and in that, the thing that you're worried about is taken care of. So how do we trust uh, Jesus and, and release things? I would say there are a couple real big ones. You ready? Because some of you may be saying, yeah, Paul, that sounds great. How do I do this? I would say one thing is, is just to believe the simplicity of the gospel. Jesus died for me sacrificially. Jesus rose from the dead. How do you trust somebody's leadership? You have to know that they love you. How do we know that Jesus loves us? Because while we were still sinners, Jesus, who had no sin, died as a sacrifice to pay the penalty for our sin. Do you think that would maybe indicate that he loves us a bit? I can trust him. Why? Because I know he loves me. If I'm convinced of that, I can much more easily trust him. In God knowing that the way for us to move in, in this life is to follow his son, he knew that our problem would be, how would they know that they can trust him? Thus God made it, so that the gospel would have Jesus die on a cross as a testimony to the entire world that I love you unconditionally, even when you're rotten and I'm holy. But I also need more than that. I need to know that he's got the goods. I've got to know that Jesus has the ability to see me through. It's great that he loves me, but does he have the goods? Thus God had it. That he didn't just die on a cross. He came back in victory over death, meaning that he cannot be defeated by anything that the enemy could throw at him. He is victorious forevermore. He lives forevermore. He will never die. He will never be defeated. When I follow him, I'm following the only one who cannot be defeated. Ah, I'm about to get Pentecostal on you. You and I have the ability to follow the only one who cannot be defeated. On this rock, I will build my church. The gates of hell cannot prevail against it. That's who we have and we sit around and we mumble and groan about our problems rather than putting our hands in the hands of this amazing one who both loves us and has all power, and he can see us through, and he's available right now. How can I trust Jesus, and how can I uh, respond this morning? I, I believe the gospel, but also release your burdens. You have to actually release it. Don't just want to release it. Don't just think about releasing it. You actually relationally have to say, Jesus, I give this to you. I'm not going to carry it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to carry it. Release the burdens and then seek, seek him. Seek him and, 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 and do what he says. I would say, practically speaking, if you don't do it already, have a time every single day in your life where you are spending time seeking him. How do you seek him? Prayer, studying his word. Not studying the word to know the word. Studying the word to know him. 
Not studying the word to know more about religion. Studying the word so that you can hear his will for you. His will. I was going to say his will for your life, but that's not, that's not even the right way to say it. It's just his will. Know his will. You do what he says in his word, and you'll walk in the will of God for your life. That's what we do. Can we just pray real quick?